even in my 10 years in public accounting, and I've got a wildly supportive spouse, I would just dabble and write these business models and these Excel plans for all kinds of things I wanted to start. And he'd say, yeah, do it. And I would just be too scared, I'd put it on a shelf. And so even eventually when I was brave enough, if you want to call it that, to go out on my own and start a firm, it was still in something that felt very comfortable, um, you know, doing it in the world of finance. What I didn't realize though is, I was just so naive. I had no idea how to sell anything, no idea about what it really meant to be an entrepreneur. There's no safe journey into entrepreneurship. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations with entrepreneurs. I'm Rebecca White, and my guest on today's episode is Brooke Evans. After graduating from Florida State University, Brooke began her career in public accounting. Since then, she has amassed about 20 years of progressive financial management experience. She is committed to the Tampa Bay community and serves on a variety of organizations, including the Florida Funders Investment Committee, ACG Tampa Bay's Board of Directors, and was previously chairperson of the Tampa Bay Technology Forum. Brooke is driven by her desire to help others around her succeed and applies her knowledge and vast experience as the CEO of CFO Alliance, an outsourced CFO and professional consulting firm where they believe it takes an entrepreneur to understand one. Listen in to hear her entrepreneurial journey on The Infactor. Brooke, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate you having me on, Dr. White. Glad to be here. Yeah, so it's so much fun um, with the InFactor. I interview entrepreneurs all over the, the United States and the world, but it's fun to have a Tampa Bay entrepreneur here with me today. We're both here in Tampa Bay, and we've both gotten to see a lot of growth and opportunity in the entrepreneurship space. So so really glad to, see, to have you and also um, want to thank you for all the work that you've done to help build our Tampa Bay entrepreneurial community because you've been very active. But let's dig in a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about CFO Alliance mm -hmm. and a little bit uh, about how you got into the this this role, your background. Um, I know you're an accountant and uh, very fitting for the company. So uh, bring us up to date. How did sure. you get here? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a recovering auditor. I've been in therapy for a long time. But, um, <laughs> it's funny that you mention our entrepreneurial community because that's really um, what inspired me to start the firm. I had a really traditional start to my career. I graduated Florida State with an accounting degree and went to the big, uh, big four at the time um, and had a great journey in public accounting. But um, the whole time I was there, I didn't realize it in my periphery. I was watching uh, founders build businesses in Tampa. And, you know, many things in Tampa go back to Tony Benedetto, but he and I were both at Anderson for a period of time. And he left Anderson to start Tribridge um, with Brian Deming and, and Mike Hurtigan and um, watching them build their company. I was just fascinated by it. And it took me a long time to really discover the fact that I had this deep admiration for founders. But ultimately, that's what intuitively called me out of public accounting with still a desire to be in client service. Like that's definitely part of my core DNA, but really wanting to work with founder led businesses and help them succeed by having access to talent that they didn't already have access to. 
That's great. You know, it's interesting because I have interviewed a number of accountants on The Infactor, and sometimes we don't think of accountants as having an interest in being an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship does involve risk, taking risk. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that entrepreneurs are, are supreme risk takers, although I'm not sure that's the case. I think entrepreneurship, a lot of entrepreneurship is about minimizing risk. So coming from an accounting background can make a lot of sense. But so, so you didn't grow up thinking, I want to be an entrepreneur. I, I did not. Although I will say that even in my 10 years in public accounting, and I've got a wildly supportive spouse, I would just dabble and write these business models and these Excel plans for all kinds of things I wanted to start. And he'd say, yeah, do it. And I would just be too scared. I'd put it on a shelf. And so even eventually when I was brave enough, if you want to call it that, to go out on my own and start a firm, it was still in something that felt very comfortable, um, you know, doing it in the world of finance. What I didn't realize, though, is I was just so naive. I had no idea how to sell anything, no idea about what it really meant to be an entrepreneur. There's no safe journey into entrepreneurship, really. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. No safe journey. I love something you just said, wildly supportive spouse. What does that mean? Because, um, you know, when, when I teach in our graduate program, um, I actually like to have some sort of a reception or an event and let family members come in because that, that journey through our entrepreneurship graduate program is very intense. And it's going to, it's probably going to start a pathway for most of those students that's going to continue to be pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And so how, how does it, you know, what does it mean to be supportive of uh, an, uh, an entrepreneur? Okay, we could probably spend the rest of this podcast just talking about this, but I'll try to hit some highlights. I would say intense is a word that just describes me in general. So even he's a great balance and always had been, so yin and yang, but he's always been incredibly supportive of my career. And then the support in terms of entrepreneurship is um, no questions asked, number one, like complete faith in me that I was going to succeed and that the firm was going to succeed. And like any entrepreneurial journey, there were extremely rocky points in that journey. Um, but he was always a stable force, even during times of almost crisis in the firm, uh, without over worrying about our finances or if it was going to be okay, even though he could have really worried. And then on top of that, I started the firm when my kids were babies. They were six months old and two years old. And so to have the kind of partner that um, you know, does so much around the house, but more than that was also my compliment um, so that he picked up where I couldn't. We, we both changed our work schedules a lot over the 15 years that I was growing this firm. I'm incredibly dedicated to my kids and was always um, available in the sacred pockets when they needed me, but he picked up the balance of everything else that was needed. He took off six years while the firm was in a peak growth period and then went back to work. And so it comes down to everything, laundry, cooking, you know, picking up the kids from school, just all the splitting of all the chores. Um, I mean, we just share completely 50-50 um, right down the line. Yeah, I love hearing that, and I have I have a similar experience because it seems like I've done things the hard way too. <laughs> and having babies and and launching, I was in a PhD program with little babies, and a very similar kind of intensity. And uh, so, anyway, that's I love that story, and I I just couldn't uh, resist picking up on that wildly supportive. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that. So I I recently published a book, See to Repeat, where I talk about the competence 
competencies of an entrepreneurial mindset. And the first one is the the ability to recognize opportunities. The second one is the willingness to take action. And the third is the resilience to execute past failure. So obviously you've had experience with all three. Uh, you mentioned that you always had these ideas and, you know, it took you a little while to get to the, the do part, the actual taking action. But let's, let's start, let's go back and let's talk about opportunity. Um, you know, you, you, through your work experience, I'm sure were able to connect a lot of dots, uh, to see problems and, and hence opportunities. But tell us a little bit about this most recent, um, endeavor because you've, you've had a lot of ideas, but this, this, um, providing CFO support, where did that idea come from? You know, did it, did it, did it come out of some experiences you had, um, as a public accountant or through conversation or, or all of the above? How did you, how did you get to this, uh, this idea? I'll give you a full disclosure and many people have not heard this story, but I think it's really interesting, um, especially where we are today. So I was in a CFO role. I had left public accounting. My intuition just told me it was really time to move beyond public accounting, even though I was um, about to be nominated to be a partner. I knew I couldn't sign up to do that for a lifetime. So I was working for, pardon me, an entrepreneurial family in an inaugural CFO role. But even then, it was a Sunday afternoon and I was reading a copy of Working Mother magazine. I don't even know where I got it. It just probably randomly came in the mail. And I read about a woman named Shannon Roulette Um, over in Orlando, who had a firm called CFO Strategic Partners. And she was sharing her story about delivering twins and starting this business. And I thought, you know, if she could do it, maybe I could do it. And so that was really where the idea originally came from is maybe, maybe this is something I could try that would be, you know, this safer path to entrepreneurship. But I think what's really interesting is, um, and and so now today, um, we've been acquired um, by a company called Atlantic's Partners out of South Florida. And two months after they acquired us, they acquired CFO Strategic Partners. And we actually have, um, uh, we have integrated CFO Strategic Partners and CFO Alliance together just in the past 60 days. So talk about coming full circle. And there is something kind of magical about the way the universe puts pieces together. And, you know, the universe uh, delivers us information that we need to have sometimes, much like it did with, you know, uh, making sure I read that copy of Working Mother magazine. Yeah, yeah. So I love that story. Uh, you know, I just interviewed another entrepreneur, and after hearing the, um, you know, the way that his opportunity developed, I asked him uh, the same question I'm going to ask you: Do you believe in serendipity? Oh, I mean, there. Are, if I look back on the journey of CFO Alliance, it's magic. There is absolute serendipity. There are no coincidences, and I think the thing that gets really difficult in entrepreneurship it gets so busy um, and so hectic and so focused and so driven that all of those, when when your energy is in that place, it's really hard to have the energy to receive the information you need to have that is what creates serendipity. So serendipity absolutely exists and is critical actually to success, I think. So let's talk a little bit more about CFO Alliance. What specifically do you do and how did you build the company? Because you got to bring together a lot of people, I think, to make what you're doing work. For sure. And, and you talk about that see, do, repeat. Um, that is actually, you know, we've been through that cycle many times as a firm, just in terms of organically building the model that we have today. 
um, which is centered around a very specific client type and a very specific type of team member that makes our model work. And so there were many iterations and many failures along the way as we were really crafting um, our unique business proposition, which today is serving innovative founder-led companies that aspire to raise capital or sell their businesses in a way that we can help create a lot of value through the finance function. And we have a proprietary methodology that we use to deliver that. And again, we're very rigorous on exactly the kinds of ideal team member characteristics that people need to have to fit. They have nothing to do with accounting and finance, by the way. They're all softer skills and things that are critical. People will not thrive on our team if they don't have all 10 of the critical success factors. So, um, so I have to, I just have to ask, uh, so I've got two questions out of that, but, but you mentioned the critical success factors. Could you talk to us a little bit about what those are? Sure. I don't know if I can remember all 10, but I'll tell you the ones that Give I- Give us some examples. Yes. Yeah. So the first top of the list is having a servant mentality and people use that term a lot, but what it really means to us is waking up every day, putting your feet on the ground, wanting to help people. Um, if you have a desire to help clients or help team members, and you just have that kind of, you know, drive in you, that's first and foremost. Um, behind that are things like resilience. You have to be really resilient to do what we do. You have to be a team player, very low ego, authentic. Those are just a handful of the things that we look for in our team members. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, not, not all of it is um, technical skill-based. Uh, a lot of it is is values-based and character-based and that sort of things. Yeah. So that's great. So let's, uh, let's go back a little bit because some of our listeners may be in a point where they're thinking about their company and building value. So at what stage um, do you recommend that an entrepreneur might work with a company like CFO Alliance? So it's interesting. It depends on the type of company it is. So, um, But even from early stages, if a company is well-funded and has a product market fit and they're high potential, chances are they need at least a sliver of CFO thought process and critical thinking and strategy and maybe a little bit of... Um, hands-on execution from a finance and accounting standpoint. For companies that may not be early stage or maybe not well-funded by investors yet, they need to have hit some kind of critical mass, um, which maybe it's you know a million dollars in revenue or 10 plus employees. At that point, again, having some amount of CFO and then the right level of execution, and that's part of our model as well, <clears throat> pardon me, is that we Put together teams. It's a very curated team for our clients that gives them exactly what they need today and what they'll need a year or two, three years from now with a mix of competencies and skill sets at just the right amount. Oh, that's great. So uh, the, this is such a value add. Uh, tell me how, like, how did you get your first customer and, oh. and how did you build your first team? Oh goodness! Okay, so the first customer was a long haul. It um, it was a lot of uh, a lot of failures. So the first three months in business, I was out doing a ton of networking, um, trying to get connected. I built a, a suspect list, so I knew exactly the folks that I thought were just amazing founders. Like Tony was on top of the list, and Tom Wallace, and Mark Blumenthal, and all the people in technology that were doing really cool things, building companies. Um, trying to figure out how I was going to get connected to the people who knew them or, you know, where they hung out. And that journey took a long time. In the meantime, um, folks from my past life were bringing me opportunities, but I couldn't close anything. I had zero sales skills. So I, there were a lot of tears in the early months. <laughs> um, but someone from Deloitte, who was a good friend, 
referred me into Walter Energy, which was not our core ideal target market, but it paid the bills. And I'm so grateful. Walter Energy, I think, engaged me, which I used to always talk about us, but it was really just me for the first three years. And they called me back a number of times and, you know, really helped, you know, uh, me get my feet underneath me while I then invested in sales training. So I'm a giant advocate of Sandler sales training. Mark Fitzgerald used to have the Tampa market. And um, I know a lot of great salespeople that have been through his program. I, I invested three years of time and effort into that. Yeah, we, you know, in our in our academic program, we emphasize selling because you've got to be able to prove uh, whatever your concept is, and the way you do that is you got to get somebody to buy it. You got to create value, but then you've got to get them to uh, agree that it has enough value that they're going to buy it to prove Definitely. it. So um, Walter Energy, that's, a, that's a, a name here in Tampa. In fact, I'm the Walter Chair of Entrepreneurship at uh, oh. the University of Tampa. So that's not it, yeah, serendipity. That's right. So um, let's talk a little bit about networking. You have been very active in the Tampa Bay community. I mentioned that and you've done a lot to support entrepreneurs, not only through your business, but through, you know, you're giving your time and talent to the community. Um, tell us how you did, you know, you, you talked about, uh, you inferred strategic networking. So how did you go about that process? Because a lot of entrepreneurs find that in the early days of their networking, they just try to show up everywhere and it wears mm -hmm. them out and they don't have time for their business. And so what is strategic networking meant to you and how have you used networks? Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it as strategic at the time, but I had a very clear idea of who I wanted to be doing business with. Um, and fortunately, um, at that time, Tampa Bay Technology Forum was so active when I discovered that organization, they had a hundred events a year and I could tell, and you want to hear a story about serendipity. This is a good one. I'll, I'll, I'll tell it in a minute. But so TBTF was um, a place where I could tell that the folks that I wanted to get to know were either connected to or spending time um, with that organization. And then a few years later, I discovered um, ACG, the Association for um, corporate growth. And I also just had this idea that I really got excited about helping companies be able to sell. I had never done it before, but it just felt like that was the, you know, the final chapter of really helping a company succeed financially. And so I started spending time at ACG and ultimately we did start winning some M&A engagements. And that's been a huge part of our value prop as well for the core demographic that we serve with founder-led businesses. So I just uh, could sense what client types we wanted and found the organizations that would support being able to get to know the people I wanted to know and also learn, um, you know, about the industry and things we were trying to specialize in. You know, one of the things I love about what you said um, is that you, you, you explained a few minutes ago that selling was a challenge you had. So you turned that into a way to serve the Tampa Bay community and help others. So I think there's a great lesson in that, really. You know, when we when we experience something and we have to overcome it and we build some competency or skill around it, then recognizing that it's pro we're probably not alone in that and there, there are others out there and we, we go out with sort of a service mentality, it starts to bring things to us. Now, you said you had another serendipity story. Yes, the serendipity story is, so, you know, Tony Benedetto was on the very top of my suspect list. I just thought it would be the most amazing thing on earth to be able to serve him and Tribridge at the time. And so when I started going to the TBTF events, the very first one I went to, I think it was February 2008, they mentioned um, at the end of the event that they did a, 
a charity event every summer called Tech Jam, and they needed volunteers for Tech Jam. Well, I had nothing. I had like checking my email. I could hit refresh 20 times a day and no emails were coming. I thought, well, I've got nothing but time. So I would love to volunteer. So I ran over (laughs) to the volunteer table and suggested that I'd like to be involved. And they asked if I would run the silent auction that year, which that was, that was a lot of work. I think I put in maybe 500 hours, um, you know, that silent auction. I learned a whole lot through the process, really about team building, because I had to build a team. But more importantly, um, the first meeting was held at Tribridge. So I was super, that was a coincidence. And then I discovered that Tony was actually the executive chair of the charitable arm of TBTF. And he and I were able to develop a personal relationship through that effort. And he actually asked me to chair Tech Jam for a couple of years after that. And then we became great friends and ultimately was a client, still my, probably my number one mentor today. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. You know, one of the one of the ways that I began my own networking career was through volunteer service on a board, um, and I advise my students of that and entrepreneurs that you know it can be you can find yourself sitting around the table with people you could never get access to. Um, you obviously don't have tons of time to volunteer, except maybe in the early stage when you <laughs> don't yet have clients. But at, at any rate, that's such a great strategy, I think, to volunteer your time and agree to serve on a board. And I know you've done a lot of work in the community uh, continuing with that uh, as well. You were going to add to that? I, I know it sounds cliche, but the more you give, the more you get. And a lot of people already know this book, but for any entrepreneur who doesn't, um, The Go-Giver, uh, really simple but profound in terms of just how to live life. And um, yeah. I love that. I love that. So you mentioned mentors and Tony Benedetto as being one of them. Have you had a lot of mentors along the way? And could you talk a little bit for, for entrepreneurs who might be listening to this or aspiring entrepreneurs about anything you've learned about working effectively with a role model? Mm-hmm. I think for me, I've had a few over the years in my career, and I think consistently, um, they've all done a lot, but consistently, they've believed in me more than I've believed in myself. And you need that sometimes, uh, you know, that goes a long way just to giving you the resilience and the being able to just keep going, keep on keeping on. Um, and so I have had a few. Um, and I guess to successfully work with a mentor, you just got to be vulnerable and raw, um, so they can really help you. Um, you know, with the challenges you have and, and, you know, authentically just share. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's great advice. I think, you know, recognizing that it's a reciprocal relationship and, you know, that, that mentors, um, their mentors are mentoring because they want to give and they want to see progress in you Mm -hmm. and, and understanding, you know, what they are, what matters to them can be really valuable. So that I love that. That's great. So um, you mentioned earlier that there were lots of challenges along the way. So I'm, I'm curious, were there, uh, could you, do you have any stories or any, any failures or any instances where you thought about giving up and, and how you, how you dealt with that, how you kept executing past failure? So multiple failures. And I'd say like chapters of failure. <laughs> Um, almost to the point where sometimes things kind of look like they're burning to the ground, but what's really happening is the universe is preparing you for taking a different path to your goals and to your vision. Um, and I think also just like I had to learn how to sell, what I love most about entrepreneurship is it forces you to grow personally. You, you have to look yourself in the mirror every day 
no matter what failures are happening in the business, whether it's people, clients, process, no matter what it is, it, it all stems from you to a certain extent. And you have to look yourself in the mirror and figure out what you have to change about yourself in order to bring that to your organization to help it succeed. So, I mean, sales, that was like an early failure. Team building and even being able to be a good leader to people, that was a failure along the way. Um, in 2019, we were trying to scale. We were a $3 million company at the time. And I thought we had four lines of business and we were going to try to scale them all. I look back now and I can laugh heartily at that. Just we didn't have the resources to try to do all that. And it was it exhausted the entire team. We um, broke even only that year. So by the end of the year, we were all burnout. And, you know, the company um, was barely break even. I had a couple team members who turned over, like leadership team members who either turned over or wanted to go into different roles. So at the end of 2019, I was burned out and I had, I did not have the structure around me that I'd had the year before. However, it was actually the start of our current business model. So one leadership team member and I sat in our conference room for like two or three days. And we just said, because at the time we were trying to be too much to too many people and all revenues seemed like good revenue. And that. Um, risk averse part of me had a hard time saying, what is our niche going to be? Because that seemed smaller. But we discovered what our niche was. We spent a lot of time just reflecting on what we were best at. And this is where the innovative founder of growth companies and the ideal team member characteristics is where our current business model was born. And we have scaled significantly as a result. So how many years in were you when that when that occurred? Eleven. Eleven. So uh, sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it? You know, I've been involved with a number of startups, and it is very difficult to turn away anything. <laughs> and it takes a while, and it takes patience sometimes, uh, and it takes time to figure out what that niche is. It does. And it's, it's hard to say no, especially when you love helping people and you want revenue, it's just really hard to say no. We still don't really say no to prospects, even if they're not a fit. We try to find them, other folks who can help them, or we try to help be resourceful. My life's mission and the firm's mission is to help people prosper. So we really do genuinely try to do that, but we have to stay true to our niche um, in order to be able to do what we do most effectively. Yeah. So interestingly, 2019, that was right before we all had a major crisis. So how did, uh, how did the, the next couple of years, 20 and 21, uh, when I'm sure a lot of your companies were struggling, uh, a lot of your clients were struggling as well. Um, how did, what happened in your space during that time? Really interesting. So um, close 2019, burnout, and with a brand new business model. And so hope, but fatigue. Um, and I actually decided um, that year to take every Wednesday off. So at the start of 2020, I was taking every Wednesday off without the team or anyone really knowing it. It was cathartic and therapeutic and all the wonderful things. We actually ended up having our biggest bookings quarter ever. So we booked a million dollars of new revenue in that first quarter and then COVID hit. And so um, I went back to my kind of over anxiety, you know, overdrive um, because the world was falling apart. I would say that our clients fared really well through COVID. I think primarily because they are growth oriented, they have good business models, and they invested in financial um, leadership and really good financial discipline before COVID. So our clients um, fared very well through COVID. Uh, but then, you know, it was back to figuring out like, Second quarter of 2020, we closed no new business. It was a giant goose egg. So going from our best bookings quarter ever to then nothing, 
And I guess the approach we took and the philosophy we took in that second quarter was like, let's just try to pay it forward. Let's try to help in any way we can. We did a bunch of webinars and tried to distribute as much information as we could, again, helping people prosper through the tough times. And then as a as a byproduct of having done that in August of 2020, our sales pipeline came back roaring. Um, and much like a lot of, there was a ton of growth for many companies, right, in late 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. And, and so we were in that bucket. That's great. And now you've just been acquired. So talk to us a little bit about that process. Um, was that a surprise or is that a, a part of the strategy and where you've been headed? Um, and, and then we can talk a little bit about what's next. But I'd love to know about that process because I know there's entrepreneurs that are listening and that that may be on their in their bucket list. It has all the same themes as what we've been talking about. A little bit of magic, some strategy for sure, some failures definitely, and then ultimately a success at the end. And so, um, you know, in 2021, obviously M&A was really heated for a number of years. In 2021 and then 2022 were kind of, uh, well, 2021 was a record M&A year. So we were getting pursued a lot. Um, lots of inbound emails, lots of uh, potential acquirers starting to reach out to us. I also was just looking forward at the growth of the firm and realizing we were going to we were um, on a really nice growth trend first of all and that's important. You want to go to market to sell your company when you can demonstrate that you're on a growth trend. Um, so we had that factor we were getting pursued. I knew that the next inflection point based on the revenue where we were was going to be, in my experience, it's like a three-year journey. At each growth inflection point, you start kind of a new level of investment, new level of building what's next. And it takes two to three years for that all to get built. And so I could either, I had a choice of either selling now or going all in for the next three years, still owning 100%, taking all the financial risk, all of the execution risk, and building through periods where you're going to fail and you're going to scrape your knee and you're going to have to figure it out for the next three years and hope that it executes effectively and you build your vision. So I had those two choices. So in 2021, the mistake I made is I started talking to these potential acquirers on my own. I should know better. I would never advise a client to start talking to potential acquirers alone. Having an investment banker is paramount. You must have an investment banker if you want to have the best outcome possible. So I had many conversations in 2021 with some potential acquirers. None of them yielded the result I was hoping for. We got some indications of interest. I thought they were below value for sure. Um, and so having a sense of your own valuation, and, and I could have a whole other podcast on how to position your business so you know what you're trying to build strategically and how you want to evangelize it. And then you got to have all the information behind that to back up the story that you've been telling people um, if you want to get a great valuation. So anyway, made a lot of mistakes in 2021, decided we're just going to keep growing. But in 2022, again, uh, people were very actively pursuing us. And so my COO and I decided together, let's start a process, let's hire an investment bank, and let's let's just see for real what the market will tell us our value is. And does it align with what we think it is? Um, lo and behold, we had the best investment banker that I've ever worked with, and that is Harborview Advisors out of Jacksonville, Carolyn Mathis and her team. I cannot say enough good things. Uh, so having the right partners in the process is critical, uh, but really great process. There's just a tremendous amount going, um, going on in the M&A space for outsourced accounting and finance. So we ended up having five offers, four of them really strong and super excited about the choice that we made to join forces with Atlantic's partners and now the five companies that are being brought together. 
So what did you look for in, you said super excited about the offers. Obviously, money's a part of it, but I'm guessing there's more to it than that. Well, I know there is. So what, what did you look for? I wanted to look for an organization that was going to complement us. So I think that's the thing about entrepreneurship too. Your organization's never perfect. Never. It's never all working in complete equilibrium or at the, you know, uh, accomplishing all the things you want it to be. So there were areas that I knew if we were going to make the next level investments, um, you know, there things that we would need to fulfill. So for us, we needed someone with a stronger delivery organizational structure. I wanted um, an organization that would also be able to help broaden what I can do from a sales standpoint and help, you know, bring other resources along to scale our sales organization. Um, so looking for a partner that can complement the areas where you know you'd have to make investments anyway. Um, I also was interested in technology. So accounting and finance technology is going to change really quickly here. And um, companies that don't have AI and RPA and things like that are going to get left behind. And so looking for a partner that was strong in technology was also mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And especially in the AI space right now, so much happening there. So it, you mentioned, uh, I, I love a lot of the advice that you gave in there, and I'd love to have you back on to talk about valuation. So we'll yeah. do that another time. Uh, maybe even have you on campus. But um, the uh, you mentioned that you started out talking to potential acquirers, and then you were pursued. So what made the difference? Um, you know, how, how did you get I mean, what would, what made the difference in getting pursued versus you reaching out? Because it's always a lot better to have mm -hmm. someone pursuing you. Um, and, and so what was the difference? So again, I think there was a lot going on. There is still a lot going on in the outsourced accounting and finance space from a private equity thesis. And so being we're on the early curve of that which was also appealing from a time to sell, by the way. You want to be on the early curve and not the back end of the curve. Um, but I think uh, a couple things. We probably were in the realm of their awareness because we made the Inc. 5000 a few times. That had always been a goal of mine. So we were on some lists that were publicly available. Um, I think also we spent a lot of um, organic energy on our brand. So I think how our brand is represented in the market is a really authentic representation of who we are. So I think there were a couple of things that were publicly available that put us on a, a target list. That's probably really long because of what's going on in our space. So I think we were just noticed. Yeah. So timing was good for, for the space as well as for you. And so that's something to look for um, in any opportunity, really. Timing is a big issue. And yeah, it is. It is. It is. And I have a great story I tell about that, but I won't, I won't, I won't bring that up today. But so tell me what's next for Brooke and, uh, you know, our, you know, uh, what, what's your plan for the next several years? Are you going to be staying with the company for a while? Are you going to be, um, do you, are you still figuring that out? So, so what's coming next? You know, I, uh, I'm going to, um, I'm super excited, as I said, about the five companies that have been brought here together. And they serve everything from emerging startup to Fortune 100 and everything in between. So there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff happening at the combined organization. Um, with my kids being now ready to go off to college and about to start their junior year, right? So they were babies when I started the firm. Now they're almost going to leave the nest. I'm actually taking a sabbatical this summer so I can be extremely present um, with the kids and focused on them and available for them. Um, running a business, any entrepreneur knows, right? It's just 
so consuming in the past five years, especially um, trying to achieve some of the goals that we have. I won't say I wasn't present, but not in the way that I really want to be in this final chapter with the kids. So I'm going to take a, I'm calling it summer camp. I'm going to summer camp and taking the summer off. And then beyond that, I may return uh, to CFO Alliance or the combined organization in a role where they see me being able to create value. I also just love to create. And I think as an entrepreneur, the further down the life cycle you get, at least for me, I wasn't able to create new things as much as I wanted to. And so I'm really excited just to have an open slate to see what I want to create next. It may be business. It may be something that's not business at all. Uh, we just saw Taylor Swift last week. She talked about reinventing yourself. So I'm really excited to see what the next invention of me is going to be. How exciting. How exciting. Well, I love the sabbatical idea. I did something similar when my daughter, who's my second child, was was in her senior year. So it was, it was great to have that. And uh, you're right. I mean, I don't know that I don't know if there are any parents out there that don't have some kind of regrets about something they missed. Uh, but it's wonderful when you can take some time and focus on on your family and your children and on yourself. So I think it'll serve a lot of purposes for you. And I'm excited to see what the new reinvented Brooke Evans does. So that'll be fun to watch. Brooke, this has been such a delight. I always end my podcast by asking my guests if there was one piece of advice that you could leave with your listeners, what would it be? And a lot of times um, I think people think back to when they were starting this, what they might, maybe they wish they had known when they were starting their entrepreneurial journey. But if you had any piece of advice for our listeners, knowing its perspective and, and, and practicing entrepreneurs, what would that be? I would say, um, again, open yourself up to the magic. So there's like the science and then the non-science, right? And they're going to learn all the science. They're going to execute, but be open to the magic. One thing I didn't share about my journey to selling the company was other elements of how to manifest it. Um, so between, you know, meditating and doing some other practices and just be, you know, just be awake to the magic and, and, um, and adapt according to what messages you're getting from the universe. I love that. I think we miss a lot of the magic in, in the world and in our lives because we're not paying attention. So Definitely. that's that's really great. I love it. Brooke, this has been a delight. Where can our listeners find out more about you and about CFO Alliance? If uh, Well, now, are you going to keep, will the name still be CFO Alliance as part of Atlantic or partners? I think, or? We're, I think we're trying to figure that out. First, okay. CFO Alliance and Atlantic's company. And then from there, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. So can our, where can our listeners connect with you? Probably the best place to find me would be on LinkedIn right now. So LinkedIn, if you look up Brooke Evans, CFO Alliance, you'll find me there. Okay, great. Thank you. Dr. White, thanks so much for having me on. This was awesome. And I can't wait to spend more time with you. Sounds great. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.